Hello, everyone. Welcome to Common Room Talk. My name's Tony, and I'm your host. Last week, we had a really cool episode where we got to do an interview, our first interview ever here on Common Room Talk, and we got to talk with two wonderful people from Fantastic Cruising. They're the people who actually got me into podcasting, and I knew from the very start that I wanted to have them on here first. We got to go over just what their preferences were about the books or the movies, talk about some of their likes and dislikes, and talk about kind of like how Harry Potter has changed their lives in one way or another. And it was just a really fun episode. And so if you guys haven't had a chance to listen to it yet, I would definitely encourage you to go listen to it. It's fun. It was a little break from just going through chapters, which I really enjoy. But I want to make sure that we do have different stuff on here as well, because one of the points of doing the podcast was being able to talk about all things Harry Potter. That includes not just talking about it chapter to chapter, even though that is the primary basis and that's how I want to do it. I want to make sure that I am at least including other topics every now and again. That way it's interesting for all people. Tonight, however, we will be getting back into our story. We're going to be in chapter five, Diagon Alley. But before we jump into there, last week's episode was pretty lengthy. We were almost at an hour and 20 minutes. And because of that, I didn't get to do one of the things that I wanted to do, which was one of our creature segments. I still haven't come up with a name for that either. So maybe if you guys have an idea as to what we can call our creature segments, shoot me an email over at commonroomtalk at gmail.com. Matt and Kimber last week did have a creature that they really enjoyed and that I really wanted to talk about, but because of how long the episode was, I didn't get a chance. And so I want to start this week's episode off with that. They had two creatures picked, merpeople and dragons, but they did show more of an affinity towards dragons. And so that's what we're going to talk about today. Most of this information that I'm going to be talking about comes from Fantastic Beasts and Where to Find Them by Newt Scamander. A little bit of it also is coming from Wikipedia and just my own general knowledge of these things. But again, if there's something that I missed or something that I say incorrectly, please, I am open to correction. Email me commonroomtalk at gmail.com. But yeah, dragons. They're large winged flying reptilian creatures, along with having claws and teeth and a long tail that could be used for offensive and defensive purposes, as well as balance while standing and flying, it also has the ability, I say it, they, because there are different types of breeds, they have the ability to breathe fire, both through their mouth and out of their nostrils. Because they are so large and dangerous, some of them in, even enjoying like eating humans that's how dangerous that they are. They, they even enjoy eating humans. Some of them prefer the taste of humans. They are some of the hardest creatures to keep secret from muggles. It is both illegal to own a dragon and to trade or sell dragons or dragon eggs. The reason being is if you had a dragon as a pet, it was very easy for muggles to take notice. It, it is very hard to keep them secret when you had them as pets. Dragon breeding itself was outlawed by the Warlock Convention in 1709 to help try and just keep this a secret from muggles. Just them on their own without being bred and being owned by wizards was tough in regards to trying to keep them secret. So it was outlawed to personally keep them. 
Now, there were people who were trained to handle dragons. They were called dragonologists. We know that there are a few places where this happened, one in Romania and one somewhere maybe in England uh, under the eye of the ministry. We know that the most famous dragonologist that we are aware of, just from our exposure to the series, is Charlie Weasley. Now, there are 10 main types of dragon breeds. Though on rare occasion, there have been times that two different breeds have mated and kind of just created a very rare hybrid breed. But the 10 main breeds are the Antipodean Opali, the Chinese Fireball, the Common Welsh Green, the Hungarian Horntail, the Norwegian Ridgeback, the Peruvian Vipertooth, the Romanian Longhorn, the Swedish Short Snout, the Ukrainian Iron Belly, in the Hebridean Black. Each of these dragons have different physical attributes and colors and unique characteristics that make up really the, the names that they're given, each one being really just different than the other ones. And I would, just for sake of time, encourage you to go check these out for yourself. They are really cool and unique, just looking dragons. If you don't have the illustrated version of Fantastic Beasts and where to find them, I highly recommend going to get it. it. There is a audiobook of it. I can't remember if it goes through each dragon specifically, but I know that there is an audiobook of Fantastic Beasts. And so, yeah, definitely go out and go look for yourselves at how just beautiful and unique and cool these things look. Dragons themselves have long been sought for just for their body parts and the way that they're used in their magical purposes. They, they're, they're wanted for their magical properties. Dragon hide for clothes and armor. Dragon blood for alchemical and potions. Hearts for wand making. Liver and horns for alchemical and potions as well. Dragon milk for potions and cheese. And dragon dung for fertilizer. We even see Hagrid using dragon meat to cover his wounds and bruises that he gets from his half-brother and it doesn't really say much that it's magical by any means but maybe it could be argued that there is some kind of benefit from using dragon meat for this now in the series there are three major times that we see dragons the first is norbert or norberta the norwegian ridgeback with hagrid hatching her in the first book the second is the Hungarian Horntail with three others during the Triwizard Tournament in the fourth book, and the Ukrainian Iron Belly that is used by Harry, Ron, and Hermione to escape Gringotts in the last book. Lastly, to just finish up dragons, I do want to talk about just the Latin name. We do see it in a few places in the series. Do you guys have any guesses where that might be or what it is? It's the Latin word for dragon. The first is Draco Malfoy, Draco being the word for dragon in Latin. The second place is the school motto, Draco Dormiens Nunquam Titulandus, or Never Tickle a Sleeping Dragon. Now, there's definitely a lot more information about dragons, and I don't want to say more, one, for the sake of time, but two, I really do want you guys to just go in and check it out for yourselves. It's really cool to not just be in the original series, but to look at these supplementing books that talk about these things, like the Fanta Fantastic, I almost said Fantastic Cruising, but the Fantastic Beasts and Where to Find Them. 
definitely check these books out. They're really cool. They're they're really interesting and they give you a whole new just level or depth of insight when it comes to the wizarding world. And now for today, we're going to get into chapter five, Diagon Alley. Now, this is probably going to be another instance where I do talk pretty heavily about the books and the movies because there are a lot of differences just in this sequence here between the books and the movies. And so I'm probably going to highlight those a lot again this episode. Honestly, it's probably going to end up being a two-part episode because there is a lot to talk about. There's a lot to get through inside of Diagon Alley. There's a lot of extra stuff that I want to talk about inside of all of this. So in the last chapter where we ended off, Hagrid had used some magic, hit Dudley in the backside, giving him a pig's tail, and he tells Harry it'd be nice if he didn't mention that. He's not allowed to do magic. And then they decided to finish the night out there, sleeping, probably on the couch. And it says that Harry used Hagrid's coat to keep himself warm there. And... That's that. They, they fell asleep there. Now, in the movies, I understand that there is the need to shorten everything up. And so you don't see the time go by in the movie as it does in the book. And so, yeah, I understand that you have to have these time lapse in the movie in order to get it to the length that they need it to be. Now, in Chapter 5 in Diagon Alley, we see the next morning where they wake up here still in the shack and it says that. Harry, although he could tell it was daylight, he kept his eyes shut. He thought it was just a dream, that this was all going to be fake, that he was going to wake up and he's going to be in his cupboard. And sure enough, he hears this tap, 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 and he thinks it's Petunia knocking on the door. And so he's mumbling, yes, I'm going to get up. And as he opens his eyes, he, he sees and feels one Hagrid's heavy coat fell off of him. The hut was still there. It was full of sunlight. The storm had ended and Hagrid was still asleep, but there was a owl that was tapping its claw on the window with a newspaper in its beak. Harry then goes over to the window, trying to let this owl in. It swoops in, and then it starts messing with Hagrid's coat, and Harry's trying to shoo it away. He, uh, it, it won't leave. It just actually starts nipping at him, and I think this is actually really cool because I don't know if you've ever come face-to-face -face with an owl. Depending on this, the size of this owl, they're not really that small of creatures they're they're pretty impressive when you're face to face with them and so for harry to just go up and start shooing it away like he is a brave kid and i know that sounds pretty maybe trivial that he's just a kid trying to shoo away an owl like oh wow it's just no big deal it's an owl it's like they could really mess you up if they wanted to they are intimidating creatures when they are irritated or frustrated and so it's really cool that you just see him trying to shoo this this owl away. And then Hagrid stirs awake after Harry is trying to get him awake. And he said he wants paying, give him some money. And Harry still didn't understand what was going on. Hagrid then explains he wants paying for delivering the paper, look in the pockets. And then it says that Hagrid's coat seemed to be made of nothing but pockets. And you see this bunches of keys and slug pellets balls of string, mint humbugs, and tea bags, and finally pull, Harry pulled out a handful of strange-looking coins. And so now we get to see the currency for the Wizarding World, at least parts of it here. Hagrid says to give him five knuts. Harry asks knuts, and Hagrid replies the little bronze ones. 
And so he counted out five little coins, and the yow held its leg out, and he put the money into a small leather pouch. That's also something you don't really see in the movie is, like, the exchange for what the owls are delivering. You don't see the exchange of goods. You only ever see them delivering the goods. And so Hagrid then gets up, says that they, they've got they've got to go. He says, best be off, lots to do today. Got to get up to London to buy all of your school stuff. And then this is where... Harry brings up the fact that he doesn't have money to pay for anything. And Hagrid says that you didn't think that your mom and dad left you, left you without anything. Now, in the book, we see a lot of this conversation still happening here in the shack. In the movie, they've already transitioned over to Diagon Alley, Leaky Cauldron, all of those fun places. And that's when they have these conversations. But they're still here in the shack Harry continues on, still being confused, like, well, if their house was destroyed, then how do they still have money? And that's when Hagrid says they didn't keep their money in the house. No, first stop for us is Gringotts, the Wizard Bank. And Harry then asks, Wizards have banks? Hagrid says, just the one, Gringotts. And so that actually makes me wonder if maybe Gringotts itself is kind of like just a, a, a company. There, there are multiple Gringotts maybe throughout the world. Or if maybe Hagrid was just really unaware of other wizarding spots, because we know that there are other schools, there are other places in the world where there are wizarding communities. And so maybe there's more than just the one Gringotts. We know that Gringotts itself is actually very active over in Egypt when we hear that Bill is over there as a curse breaker working for Gringotts, trying to procure gold and treasure. And so maybe that there, there are other branches of Gringotts throughout the world and the one that we see is just the one for England and and for that specific wizarding community but yeah Hagrid says just the one Gringotts run by goblins and it says that Harry dropped a bit of his sausage that he was holding it says goblins and Hagrid says yeah you'd be mad to try and rob it I'll tell you that never mess with goblins Harry and it's just cool because not only is Harry finding out that he's a wizard he's going to be finding out here really throughout the first book and you still see it prevalent throughout the entire series where harry is just so unaware of everything that existed inside of the wizarding world and so he's not just being confronted right now with the fact that he was a wizard but also that there are other species out there and he probably already has some kind of misconception in his head about what goblins are or what they do or what they can do. So it's really cool to see him working through this already immediately that there's so much that he does not know about. Hagrid then says that Gringotts is the safest place in the world if you wanted to keep something safe, except maybe Hogwarts. And so you also then get this contrast between Gringotts and Hogwarts in one maybe being more magical than the other or for some reason just being more reinforced or stronger or you just get this sense of one place being I don't want to say better than the other which we know Hogwarts is better it's just everybody who's there Hogwarts is just a such a magical place it's home honestly and you see here right off the bat that there's something about Hogwarts that Gringotts doesn't have Hagrid then brings up the point that Dumbledore trusts him to do important things, which we already had seen in the very beginning of the book when Dumbledore says that he would trust Hagrid with his life. Harry then follows Hagrid out of the shack onto the rock, 
and it says that the the sky was quite clear now. The sea gleamed in the sunlight, so everything's nice and calm now. And the boat that Uncle Vernon had hired was still there with a lot of water in the bottom from the storm. And Harry asks, how did you get here? Hagrid said that he flew. Harry then, being astonished by not knowing what this is or how this happened, he, he asks, you flew? Hagrid says, yeah, but we'll go back in this. Not supposed to use magic now that I've got you. So they're talking about the boat and they're going to settle back in this boat. And I know that this was a huge plot hole originally a huge plot hole in the fact that they just leave the dursleys on this rock with no way to get back i would like to think that if this boat was somewhere visible where the owner could see it that he would have maybe went back in his own boat to make sure that this dilapidated shack wasn't more dilapidated now i don't know they obviously get back. They're in the next few books. Well, they're in all of the next books, and they're not stuck on this rock. So somehow, some way, they got back. It's not a plot hole. Just got to be reasonable about it, which is funny to say, be reasonable or bring reason into a book about magic that is fiction and fake and made up. But here it says that Hagrid flew, and we don't see anywhere that he had a broomstick or anything like that. And so it's like, well, how did Hagrid fly? I personally think that, and I'm going to talk about this probably in just a second, but I think that Hagrid is much more powerful than he lets on. And it actually makes me frustrated when you see other instances later on in the series where it kind of portrays Hagrid as just like a bumbling fool who doesn't know how to really do magic. I think that he's actually probably pretty brilliant when it comes to magic. But if you remember in The Deathly Hallows, the day before the wedding, which was Harry's birthday, Hagrid shows up and he gives Harry his birthday present. He gives him this mokeskin pouch. And this wasn't something that he just procured. Hagrid actually says, I couldn't think of what to get you, but then I remembered this. And I think this is something that he actually already had with him. When he's talking about what the mokeskin is, he says it's mokeskin and you can hide anything in there and only the owner can get it out. I think this most likely was a pouch that even though it, I don't think it was used this way in the book, I can't remember precisely, but I think it might have also had an undetectable extension charm in there, meaning kind of like Hermione's bag, beaded bag. You could probably put a lot of stuff in there that shouldn't reasonably be able to fit or realistically be able to fit inside of it. And I think that might have been something that Hagrid probably had here with him in the first book. If he flew in, most likely on a broom, definitely not the motorbike this time, unless he brought the motorbike again and, and vanished it. But I doubt that seeing as how, one, the first time he got it from Sirius Black, by this time Sirius is already in Azkaban for a decade plus so you won't see that bike being used again most likely just coming up with any kind of plausible ex explanation i think the best course for explaining this is that he probably had a broomstick and that he just put it in the pouch but it does say here that he's not supposed to be using magic but he didn't want it to go very slow. And so they get into the boat and he's like, you don't mind if I speed things up a bit. Harry wants to see more magic. And it says that Hagrid pulled out his pink umbrella again 
and tapped the side of the boat twice. This is nonverbal magic that Hagrid is doing. And this is why I think that this is one of the indicators that show that he is brilliant at magic. I think there is so much more to Hagrid than he lets known. Obviously, he's not supposed to be doing magic because his wand, which may or may not be concealed in his umbrella, we're not supposed to say because the ministry is not supposed to know, but he is doing magic, not just nonverbal spells, but with a broken wand. And the magic that he's doing is very clear and concise and it's very direct. He knows exactly what he's wanting to do and he's able to perform it without any issue and without uttering any of the words to do it. Harry then asks why you'd be mad to try and rob Gringotts. Hagrid then kind of explains a few things. There's spells and enchantments and they say that there's dragons guarding the high security vaults, which we obviously know to be 100% accurate based on, one, we talked about it when we talked about dragons, and two, what happens in the last book, uh, The Great Escape by Harry, Ron, and Hermione on the back of the Ukrainian Iron Belly. Then you get a little bit more of an explanation of just the underground workings of Gringotts, that their their high security vaults are deep underground. Hagrid says you die of hunger trying to get out, even if you did manage to get your hands on something. And then Hagrid's there reading the Daily Prophet, says that Harry learned from Uncle Vernon that people like to be left alone while they did this, reading the newspaper. But it was difficult because he had never had so many questions in his life. And again, we're using the illustrated version of the books illustrated by Jim K. And you have this amazing portrait here of Harry and Hagrid sitting in this tiny little rowboat. Hagrid sitting at the back, which means the entire boat is lurched up from the front is in the air. Harry's in the very front stretched out towards the seagulls. There's a little bit of ocean spray and Hagrid who has very clearly, it looks like a Gryffindor scarf trailing back behind him is holding this little pink umbrella i mean literally this umbrella is minuscule inside of hagrid's hand like it honestly looks more like a wand than an umbrella and they're kind of just zooming through the water here hagrid then as he's reading the paper says ministry of magic messing things up as usual harry asks there's a ministry of magic Hagrid continues on with, yes, of course there is. So we know here that there is some sort of government in the wizarding world. And it says that they, they wanted Dumbledore for minister, of course, but he would never leave Hogwarts. So old Cornelius Fudge got the job. So not only do we learn that there's a ministry, a government for the wizarding world, we also hear about another character, this minister of magic, Cornelius Fudge, and we're given a description of him right off the bat. Hagrid says, bungler if there ever was one. This guy was not the brightest. He wasn't the smartest. He wasn't probably the best fit or pick maybe for this position. And obviously this is just Hagrid's opinion. He had to be esteemed or astute enough to get himself into this position in the first place. But one thing that we do see throughout the series is how he did rely on Dumbledore a lot, which Hagrid immediately says right here, he pelts Dumbledore with owls every morning asking for advice. 
Harry then continues on asking, what does the Ministry of Magic do? Hagrid says it's their main job to keep it from the muggles, that there's still witches and wizards up and down the country. Harry asks why. Hagrid then asks why again, kind of like in response, like, what do you mean why? Everyone would be wanting magic solutions to their problems. No, we're best left alone. This is probably one of the best and most brilliant explanations as to why they don't want muggles knowing about them. Not only were there wars between muggles and wizards in the past, which then really pushed the wizards, I don't want to say underground, but into hiding, which isn't even so much true. They're not really, quote unquote, un in hiding. They're keeping their existence a secret. There's a difference between hiding and keeping a secret. They, and it's because it's not just for them. It's also for the muggles benefit. This is something that benefits both sides. It's easier to coexist in secret. And this is also where you kind of get a lot of the pushback from the dark side with people who are practicing the dark arts. A lot of them like Voldemort and Grindelwald, they don't want to be in secret. They don't want to be in hiding, which they consider it hiding. They think it's cowardly. They think it's beneath them. They think that wizards should be ruling. And because of this, they then try and do the things that they're doing, which is trying to take over. They want to bring wizards out of hiding. They want them to rule over the muggles and take their quote-unquote rightful place in the world. The ministry's job is to, one, obviously keep those kind of things from happening. They're governing the wizarding world, but they're diligently working to keep this secret. That's why there are different branches inside of the ministry, whether it's magical creatures or accidental magic or obliviators. There, there are branches inside of the ministry to keep different facets of the wizarding world secret from muggles. And this is a 24-7 job that they do to keep it secret. One, the explanation given here, because us as humans want the quick fix always. And so we would, if we're a muggle, not me, everybody else that is a muggle, not myself, I've already been over this, um, they want quick fixes to everything. They want magical solutions. And that's what it would be like. They would probably constantly be confronting wizards for wanting solutions to fix everything. And what would happen is probably what has happened in the past. They would end up fighting over the magic. They would want the, the, the humans, the muggles would want it for themselves. They would try and gain it at any cost. And the wizards wouldn't want to give it up. They don't want to interfere in that way. And it would cause a backlash. It would cause more fighting. It would basically make history repeat itself again. And so the easiest thing to do would be that. And secondly, for just keeping the peace because of all of that, they want to keep the peace as best as possible. And to do so, the best way of doing it is keeping themselves secret. They finally make it to the harbor in this little town where they were. They pull up, get out of the boat, and passersby are just looking at Hagrid because it says that he was twice as tall as anyone else. And he kept on pointing at ordinary things like parking meters saying loudly, see that Harry, things muggles dream up, eh? It's kind of a Arthur Weasley mentality. He is blown away by what the muggles are doing because one of the things that we see later on talked about is just muggles way of dealing with things that wizards have with magic. They're coming up with their artificial magic and 
it impresses Hagrid. He likes it. And very Arthur Weasley-esque. And Harry then asks Hagrid again about there being dragons at Gringotts. And Hagrid says, so that they say, crikey, I would like a dragon. And Harry replies with, you would like one? Hagrid says, wanted one ever since I was a kid. And you kind of see this foreshadowing. We know what's going to happen. But we also know that Hagrid just loves creatures. He loves all creatures. He doesn't see anything wrong with them. They're not dangerous to him. In fact, the bigger and more dangerous they are to Hagrid, the fluffier they are. They reached a train station and they had to use muggle money. So Hagrid has Harry do it as he doesn't really understand the muggle money. And you also get this contrast here now where Harry doesn't understand the wizarding world and the currency and how to do it. And Hagrid doesn't understand it with the muggle world. And so Harry has to do it. I think it's a good contrast as pointed out early because it makes it seem if you didn't have this, it would make it seem as if it was only the the muggles who were unaware of the magic and the people inside of the wizarding world. When it's not even like that, the, the wizards, probably for the most part, the ones that aren't working in the muggle world themselves also seem to have this sense of, I don't want to say naive because he's not naive, but a sense of just not knowing or not understanding the way that the muggles world also works. They're, they're very blissfully unaware of each other at certain times. And this is a really good point in the very beginning of the story where you see this being played out. But they're at the train station, they get on the train. And if you have the extended edition Harry Potter in the Sorcerer's Stone or Philosopher's Stone movie, in the extra credits, not the extra credits, the deleted scenes or the extended edition, this is put in where you see them sitting on the train. And Harry is kind of talking about some of the things that are in the list of things he needs to buy. Now, this is what it says in the book. This is Harry's letter. Everything that he needs to buy while in Diagon Alley. Hogwarts School of Witchcraft and Wizardry. Uniform. First-year students will require three sets of plain work robes. Black. One plain pointed hat. Black. For day wear. One pair of protective gloves, dragon hide or similar. Again, that's where we, when we talked about dragons earlier, what their hides are used for. Here, protective gloves. One winter cloak, black with silver fastenings. Please note that all pupils' clothes should carry name tags. Set books. All students should have a copy of each of the following. The Standard Book of Spells, Grade 1. By Miranda Goshawk. A History of Magic by Bathilda Backshot. Magical Theory by Adelbert Waffling. A Beginner's Guide to Transfiguration by Emmerich Switch. I'm going to pause here because something that JK does is use names to affiliate with what they're known for. For example, here, A Beginner's Guide to Transfiguration by Emmerich Switch. Transfiguring something, switching something, changing it into something else. You get a lot of these things. Even with the next one, 1,000 Magical Herbs and Fungi by Felidia Spore. And it's just really cool. I like that you, you see these, even with Fantastic Beasts and Where to Find Them with Newt Scamander. It's just a really cool play on the names. 
and the words. And it's like a newt and salamander kind of being put together. That's what you think of. Or with the a thousand magical herbs and fungi, the, the last name Spore. And you get a lot of these names that are really just tied in and, and played really well off of what the people are known for. And then the last book, The Dark Forces, A Guide to Self-Protection by Quentin Trimble. Other equipment, one wand, one cauldron, pewter, standard size two, one set glass or crystal file, one telescope, and one set of brass scales. Students may also bring an owl, a cat, or a toad. Parents are reminded that first years are not allowed their own broomsticks. Harry then asks, are we able to buy all of this in London? And Hagrid says, if you know where to go, which we see that line in the movie. Now, in the extended edition or the deleted scenes of the first movie, you have this conversation on the train where it's happening here. And so it kind of starts to line up a little bit. Now, we know that once they get into Diagon Alley, that's where we see the conversation about the money and Gringotts. And that's later on in the movie, but it's already happened here in the book. But on the train, they do have this conversation, and that's also where you see in the movie Hagrid talks about the dragons, and he says they're vastly misunderstood creatures, dragons, and you see that longing for this creature already. So Harry and Hagrid come off the train, and they're walking down just an ordinary street, and Harry is just wondering how could there really be shops here that sold magical things, and he's thinking to himself, could there really be piles of wizard gold buried miles beneath them? Were there really shops here that sold spell books and broomsticks, or is this really just a huge joke that the Dursleys had cooked up? And he says if Harry hadn't known that the Dursleys had no sense of humor, he might have thought so. He might have thought this was all made up buy them to get them and even though Hagrid had told him so everything so far has just been unbelievable but Harry couldn't help but trusting Hagrid and so then they come up to a building Hagrid says this is it the leaky cauldron it's a famous place and the building that they're looking at it was a tiny grubby looking pub and if Hagrid hadn't pointed it out Harry probably wouldn't have even noticed that it was there and I think this is another time where we probably get to see some form of concealment magic that's going on with the, the Leaky Cauldron. Maybe it was a Fidelius charm. Maybe it was kind of... I don't I don't want to say it was kind of like what was used in the Fidelius charm when it came to the headquarters for the Order of the Phoenix, number 12, Grimold Place. But I want to think it's probably something along the lines there as to what is kind of going on with the muggle-repelling charms that are on Hogwarts or what we see talked about for the Quidditch World Cup. Because it says, The people hurrying by didn't glance at it. Their eyes slid from the big bookshop on one side to the record shop on the other side as if they couldn't see the leaky cauldron at all. So they walk in. And it says, for a famous place, it was very dark and shabby. And so it's not the most appealing place for being what it is. And you have a few people just kind of sitting around. They're drinking. One guy was smoking a long pipe. And then a little man in a top hat was talking to the old barman who was quite bald and looked like a gummy walnut. There, there was a, a low buzz of chatter that stopped when they walked in. 
and it seems that everyone knew Hagrid. They waved and they smiled at him. And the barman even reached for a glass and said the usual Hagrid, which again is implying that Hagrid frequents the shop and you have this continuation of the fact that he does like to drink. And I'm not saying anything's wrong with that. It's just Hagrid's personality. He likes to drink and that's what he does. And he's very, it seems, well known for it. And Hagrid replies, can't Tom, which we now know is the barman's name, Tom, I'm on Hogwarts business or in the movie it says official Hogwarts business. And Hagrid claps his great hand on Harry's shoulder, making Harry's knees buckle. The barman then says, good Lord, is this, can this be? And then the whole leaky cauldron suddenly gone completely still and silent, which is what we see happen in the movie when they walk in. The barman offers Hagrid the usual. Hagrid says, no, here on official Hogwarts business, just helping young Harry buy his school supplies. And Tom looks at him and says, bless my soul, it's Harry Potter. It gets quiet, music stops, and everyone starts to turn to look at Harry. In the book, the barman says that then he said his first line, is this, can this be? And then Everything gets quiet and silent and still. Then the barman continues, bless my soul, Harry Potter, what an honor. And then he hurries from behind the bar, rushes towards Harry and seized his hand and is shaking it and there's tears in his eyes. And I, I think this is really significant because you really start to get a sense, even though this is just the one interaction, there were times, as we saw in the first chapter, that people would stop in the middle of the street to wave at him or to bow at him. And you really get a sense of what Harry means to these people. They lived in a time where they were afraid to do anything, to go out, to leave. They were so oppressed by Voldemort and his followers. They were just so scared. And now they have this point in which Harry was a symbol of just hope and conquering of the dark arts he had vanquished the dark lord he's the celebrated hero come home and everyone wants to show their affection and their gratitude for what he had done because in their eyes he did it he stopped voldemort himself and so the barman comes around and he has the tears in his eyes and he says welcome back mr potter welcome back and Harry didn't know what to say. Everyone was looking at him, and then the old woman with the pipe was puffing on it, didn't realize that it had gone out. They, they were all just staring at him, not realizing kind of like what was going on. They were all just kind of dumbfounded and taken back that he just showed up there out of nowhere. And it says that Hagrid was beaming. He was very obviously proud to be there with Harry. And then there was a great scraping of chairs, and the next moment, Harry found himself shaking hands with everyone in the Leaky Cauldron. And you have a few people who introduce themselves. Doris Crockford, who says, can't believe I'm meeting you at last, which you see in the movie. So proud, Mr. Potter. I'm just so proud. Always wanted to shake your hand. I'm all of a flutter. And Daedalus Diggle comes up and introduces himself, says he's delighted. And Harry says he recognizes him, that... He bowed to him once in a shop, and Daedalus is excited. He remembers me. He remembers – did you hear that, guys? He remembers me. Harry shook hands again and again. Doris Crockford kept coming back for more, and a pale young man made his way forward very nervously. One of his eyes was twitching. 
Hagrid then pronounces that this is Professor Quirrell. In the movie, we obviously saw everyone just getting to their feet, coming to meet Harry and greet him and just give their thanks to him. And you see Professor Quirrell kind of just hovering at the bar, afraid, and you see Hagrid and Harry actually approach him. Hagrid says this is going to be one of your Hogwarts professors, and you see Professor Quirrell do his, his stutter. He says, P -p -p Potter, c can't tell, tell you how pleased I am to meet you. And you see this question, what sort of magic do you teach, Professor Quirrell, asked by Harry, and he just continues on with his stuttering, defense against the dark arts, muttered Professor Quirrell, as though he'd rather not think about it. And he continues on saying, not that you need it, eh, Potter? He laughed nervously. You'll be getting all of your equipment, I suppose. I've got to pick up a new book on vampires myself. He looked terrified at the very thought. And so we're kind of getting just this first description of Quirrell. And obviously we know what happens with Quirrell. And so you have to ask yourself, is he really like this now? Or is he putting on a show? And at this point, it says that the others in the Leaky Cauldron wouldn't let Quirrell keep Harry to himself. It took almost 10 minutes to get away from them. At last, Hagrid managed to make himself heard over the babble. We got to go. Lots to buy. Come on, Harry. And it says Doris Crockford came to shake Harry's hand one more time. And Hagrid led them out through the bar and into a small walled courtyard or in the movie they go out this back door and it, it comes out to like this little back area which i guess you would consider a courtyard just surrounded on all sides by this large brick wall as they were out there hagrid looked down and grinned at harry and he says told you didn't i, I told you you was famous even professor quarrel was trembling to meet you mind you he's usually trembling and harry asks is he always that nervous Hagrid then says, oh yeah, poor bloke, brilliant mind. He was fine while he was studying out of books, but then he took a year off to get some firsthand experience. They say he met vampires in the Black Forest and there was a nasty bit of trouble with a hag and he's never been the same since. Scared of the students, scared of his own subject. Now, where's my umbrella? And they continue talking just a little bit about Professor Quirrell. Harry asks about vampires and hags and his head was swimming and... Again, he's being confronted with the fact that there are other creatures, things that he's probably only heard fairy tales about or fake stories about in his world and that they're actually real. But something that you see in the movie, before they go outside, Harry actually puts his hand out to shake Professor Quirrell's hand and Quirrell kind of retracts from it and kind of like pulls himself close, his hands to his chest, and he's afraid to touch Harry, which we know we don't know why at this point. I don't even think that Quirrell knew what would happen. I think this is just a, an honest show of him being afraid to do anything. Or maybe he was honestly just afraid to touch Harry because of what is going on in the back of his head, which I, everybody already knows, but I don't want to spoil it anyways. But when we see happen at the end of the movie, we see that he is really kind of unaware of what is going on at first when he asks what is this magic he doesn't understand why he couldn't touch harry spoiler alert but as harry was contemplating vampires and hags it says that haggard was there counting the bricks 
and he says, three up, two across, right, stand back, Harry. And then he says he tapped the wall three times with the point of his umbrella, and the brick that he had touched quivered, it wiggled, and in the middle, a small hole appeared, and it grew wider and wider, and a second later, they were facing an archway large enough even for Hagrid, an archway that led to a cobbled street which twisted and turned out of sight. Hagrid says, welcome to Diagon Alley. And in the movie, that's what we see. He taps a few different bricks and you get the, for then it was really cool CGI. I remember watching it for the first time and thinking, man, this is so cool. I want to go see this. I want to see this happen. All these bricks moving on their own. And for me, this was the defining moment of when I wanted to be in this world. It wasn't when Harry got his letter. It wasn't when he got to Hogwarts. It was this. It was seeing this moment in which the wizarding world did exist in secret and in plain sight that it could really be there. And I was hooked. I wanted it. I wanted to be there. And it was just an amazing moment. You see the bricks sliding and moving and turning and they create this huge archway and you see this amazing alley that just extends as far as you could see and there were shops on both sides and people just filling the street all the way down and this was the first real sense of magic and awe for me when I saw the movie and in all honesty that was the point in which I became probably obsessed with Harry Potter that's why I went back to the movies and saw it again and again in theaters when my brothers were going to watch Lord of the Rings, I went to go see Harry Potter again. And this is one of those moments that I remember just edge of my seat, just in awe of what I was seeing. I wanted it so badly. And that's where we're actually going to end this episode is when they come in here to Diagon Alley through the brick archway. I think this is a really good stopping point. And so, yeah, if you guys are enjoying this as much as I am. I'm loving this. I'm loving talking about Harry Potter. I like that I get to talk to you guys about it. And I hope that you guys are enjoying listening to it as I am, as much as I am talking about it. And if you are, please like it, share it, subscribe to it. And I'm only saying it's not because I want prestige. I don't, I don't care for that. I'm just here to talk about Harry Potter, but I would love for more people to hear it and to find it and that's only possible by you guys liking it and sharing it and even over on apple Podcasts, if you guys leave a written review that helps it get like seen by more people the more positive reviews and the more written reviews that we have it is seen then by more people and that's really what i what i want i want more people to hear it and they can just sit here and enjoy diving back into this world, uh, doing it in a way that isn't just reading the books or watching the movies, but going through the book and talking about all these different points. And so please like it, subscribe to it, share it, put it on social media, talk about it with your friends. Anybody who has even just a small interest in Harry Potter, please share it with them. Let them enjoy this with you guys. You guys can talk about the the points that we're bringing up. And I also I, I want to hear your opinions. If I am bringing up something you've never thought about before or you have an explanation for something or you have a really cool name for the different segments that we're trying to, to work in, such as Owlpost, I actually got a really cool email over the week about a suggestion for the new segment. Uh, a listener named Laura 
says, Tony, I just started listening to your Harry Potter podcast. You asked for suggestions for the news segment. You could call it The Daily Prophet since it was the newspaper from Harry Potter. I am looking forward to listening often. Laura, huge Harry Potter fan. Laura, one, thank you for your email. And that is actually one of the names that I've been tossing around, that or Alpost. And so I'm still working through it. But yeah, if you guys want to have your emails read, email me. Let me know what you guys think. Let's talk about some things. Commonroomtalk at gmail.com. Again, thank you so much for your support and for listening. So I had this episode finished, wrapped up, edited, and ready to go. And then last night, I was talking to my wife, and I don't need any more reasons to love her, yet she gave me another fantastic one as I was talking to her about this episode, and I was talking to her about just Hagrid being as powerful as he was for someone who was kicked out in his third year, didn't get to finish his magical education, and found a way to still be doing magic the way that he did. She drops this little tidbit on me. She says, well, Dumbledore also probably taught him how to do a lot of stuff blew my mind. This is why I love her. This is why I married her. She's amazing. She doesn't really know much about Harry Potter except for what she's heard me talk about and for her to just throw this out there. Absolutely love it. All right. Now with that, my name's Tony. I'm your host. This is Common Room Talk.